بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله وكفى والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وكونوا مع الصادقين صدق الله العظيم الحمد لله we're continuing with the fourth hidayah of تسهيل قصد السبيل and this fourth hidayah is a very essential principle and a very fundamental matter the ignorance of which has put many muridin many students many people who tread the path of tasawwuf have created a lot of roadblocks a lot of problems and a lot of issues later on in their suluk because of the ignorance of this usul and this fourth hidayah this fourth usul is understanding the objectives. That laying down what is the objective of the murid? What is the murid and the student supposed to be seeking? And as one poet said in, in, in Farsi, خشت أول نهد ميمار كج كج He says that the first brick of the building which you put crooked that till Suraya, which is the star in the sky, till Suraya, then this building will, because the first brick was laid crooked, the building will continue. The higher it gets, the more crooked it will become. So from this, we understand that the objectives from the beginning have to be straight. Because if the objectives aren't straight and the intentions are crooked or a person is mistaken or he has some very uh, impractical, you know, aspirations, kind of like uh, fairy tale, folkloric type of outlook that I want to become a murid so that I can become very famous. I want to become a murid so I can, you know, get superpowers and climb walls like Spider-Man or fly in the air like Superman. You know, you're not entering into Suluk you know, to become a mutant X-Men or a superhero. You're entering into Suluk with this intention. This should be in your in your intention that I'm entering into Suluk for the sake of islahi nafs. I'm entering into this path to rectify my character and to purify myself of these diseases. And when a person comes with that intention, obviously we will see the result of it will be different. And if a person enters with the intention to become a superhero, Right, then the result will be different. So let's say what Hazrat let's see what Hazrat has to say here when uh, he begins this. He says the objective of a murid, fourth hidayah. Once you have found a Shaykh Kamil, meaning a qualified Shaykh, and you intend to become his murid, then first understand the aim and objective of becoming a murid. Okay. One of the tricks of shaitan is to spoil the intentions and introduce ulterior motives within the mind of a murid, right? That is why it is of the utmost importance for a murid to know what is the objective. And here, uh, Hazrat Tanwi is helping us to recognize what is the correct um, objectives by first identifying some of the inappropriate objectives, okay? So he said, people entertain various motives when becoming a murid. Some desire to acquire the ability to perform karamat, they want to be superheroes, right? Or becoming the recipient of kashf, 
divine inspiration. I want to be kashf. I want to be able to see people's sins, right? Why would you even want that? It has already been explained in the third hidayah that karamat and kashf are not even required for the sheikh. Therefore, the murid should also not entertain such motives. Karamat and kashf is not even a requirement for the sheikh. When we talk about a sheikh kamil or a qualified sheikh, we said it is not from the conditions of being a qualified sheikh to have these karamat and to have these supernatural abilities. Hence, if it's not a requirement for the sheikh, how can it be a requirement for the murid? Others have the notion that they can depend on the sheikh to provide them with forgiveness and salvation from hellfire in the hereafter, regardless of how much evil the murid may be engaged in. This is an egregious fallacy and is a very big mistake. Some have the opinion that, right, the sheikh is going to make shafat for me on the day of judgment and, right, anyone who doesn't have bayat with a sheikh, he's not going to have uh, someone who will make shafat for him and so on and so forth. And despite whatever actions I do, because I have uh, the, quote-unquote, holding the daman of my sheikh, he will take me to Jannat. Uh, and this is a very big mistake, right? And the fact of the matter is, is that the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam, even told his beloved daughter, Fatima, O Fatima, save yourself from the hellfire. Save yourself from the hellfire. If the greatest sheikh, the greatest sheikh of all, Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu he did not allow his daughter to depend upon him for salvation. And he commanded her to seek salvation by engaging in good deeds. Right? How foolish is it that some people live under the delusion that their sheikh will be their ticket to salvation, right? If this was possible, would not the mercy of all the worlds have saved his own daughter? Without a doubt, right? That the Prophet ﷺ said that all of Yani Yanqati Ukullan Nasab Yaumal Qiyamati Al right as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, uh, that the Yaumal Qiyamah Al Fala and Saba Bainahum Yoma Idin Wala Yatasa Alun. La and Saba Yoma Idin Wala Yatasa Alun. Allah Ta'ala says there will be no Nasab on that day. But the Prophet explained that that every Nasab will come to an end. Illa Nasabi, except my Nasab. So obviously, the maqam of Ahl Bayt and the maqam of the nasab of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, without a doubt, we accept that. However, here, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is teaching a very important point, is that everybody will be judged based on their own actions. Everybody will be judged based on their actions. And that is the primary uh, thing by which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be uh, judging His servants. We should not simply depend upon our connections, our teachers, our mashayikh, our lineage uh, without doing any good deeds. The way of securing salvation is by performing amal saliha. Some people are under the impression that the murid will attain spiritual perfection through the spiritual attention that the sheikh will supposedly cast upon the murid. In other words, the sheikh aisa nazar dalega mujh par ke main bas Allah ka wali ban jaunga. The sheikh is give me gonna give me such a glance that you know after that I'm going to become a waliullah. Now, one point to be mentioned here is that there may have been certain situations where the sheikh 
made dua for someone, or the sheikh looked upon someone, or the sheikh showed affection to someone, and that person changed their entire life, these are special case scenarios. These are exceptions, right? These are exceptional situations that took place, and you can't base the rules on the various exceptions or things that may have happened, incidental situations that may have happened once in a blue moon. Due to this misconception, the idea is held that there is neither a need to strive or exert oneself on the path of suluk, nor is there a need to form a firm resolution to abstain from sins. In other words, when a person has this notion and this idea, uh, my sheikh, there's no, no one like him. <coughs> He's so unique that, you know, that's it. I don't need to make any amal. My sheikh will save me. So having this incorrect notion, the incorrect actions, they stem from having an incorrect understanding. So when that person originally had an incorrect understanding that so-and-so got my back, then his actions will be likewise, he will be acting recklessly. He will not give tawajjud to his good deeds. He will not give tawajjud to do his amal. He will not do his wazifas. He won't think it necessary to uh, you know, make an effort. Why? Why should I make an effort when my sheikh got my back? So it's very important that these incorrect notions should be nipped at the bud, as they say. So that right, it does not result in these incorrect actions. Due to this misconception, this idea is held that there is neither a need to strive and exert oneself on the path of suluk, nor is there a need to form a firm resolution to abstain from this. If this fallacy had any substance, then indeed there would have been no need for the Sahaba to endure such great hardship, labor, and sacrifice. Why did the Sahaba become shaheed? Why did they sacrifice? Why did they undergo so much poverty? Why did they go through so much difficulty? Because they knew that this is the way that we attain the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَالَّذِينَ جَاهَدُوا فِينَا لَنَهْدِيَنَّهُمْ سُبُلَنَا وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَمَعَ الْمُحْسِنِينَ Right? Those who strive in our paths, for them we shall open up the doors of guidance. Right? And those who strive, they strive but for themselves. So if we look at the lives of the Sahaba, if we look at the Sunnah of Rasulullah if we look at the example that they left behind, right? there would have been no need for them to you know, endure such great hardship. There would have been no need for them to go through such sacrifice. For who can ever attain greater perfection then the Shaykh of the Sahaba, the Messenger of Allah, but they didn't depend upon that, right? Despite the fact that the Prophet وسلم, said, Abu Bakr fil Jannah, Umar fil Jannah, Uthman fil Jannah, Ali fil Jannah, Sa'ad bin Abi Waqqas fil Jannah, Abdul Rahman ibn Awf fil Jannah, Talha fil Jannah, right? All the Ashari Mubashara, but despite that, they were the most fearful, right? Abu Bakr anhu says, Ya laytani lam talidni, Ya layta ummi lam talidni, right? I wish that my mother never gave birth to me. Hazrat Aisha Siddiqah, whereas she knew that she's the wife of the Messenger of Allah and she'll be resurrected with him and she'll be joined with him in paradise. What did she say? Ya laytani, right? Kuntu nasyam mansiya. Oh, if only I would be 
forgotten that they would forget that I was forgotten from them. How did they have this? Because they knew that, right, uh, the only thing that will save them is the mercy of Allah Azza wa Jal, right, based on the amal that they did. Jaza'an bima kanu ya'malun. Hazrat continues saying, it is conceded that a murid's condition may be transformed by the spiritual gaze or attention of the shaykh. However, such incidents occur through karamat and are very rare. Yani we accept the fact that it can happen that the shaykh makes a dua, like the life of somebody changes, or you know, one person spends the night uh, in the company of the shaykh and all of a sudden his entire life changes and he becomes you know, uh, from fasiq to a wali. And these incidents are very rare. And these events are not the rule, nor is it required of every wali to demonstrate such miracles. Therefore, it is a grievous error to rely on miracles for the attainment of spiritual and moral reformation. Important point. Some people wait for the sheikh to perform a miracle and do the work for them. They delude themselves with the thinking that this is what it means to have trust in the shaykh and his relation with Allah. They are misguided because these miracles are not within the control of the shaykh. Rather, they are in the control of Allah. And Allah Ta'ala has commanded us to strive, to rely and wait on the miracles from the shaykh instead of striving for the sake of Allah is to disregard and disrespect the command of Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala says, Ya you alladheena amanu taqullaha O you who believe, Fear Allah Ta'ala. وَبْتَغُوا إِلَيْهِ الْوَسِيلَةِ And seek a means of drawing near to Him. وَجَاهِدُوا فِي سَبِيلِهِ لَعَلَّكُمْ تُفْلِحُونَ And struggle in His way so that you become prosperous. Look at all. Allah is commanding us to do amal. اِعْمَلُوا Allah Ta'ala says, do. اِتَّقُوا اِعْمَلُوا اُسْجُدُوا أَقِيمُوا الصَّلَاةِ آتُوا الزَّكَاءِ All of this is amr. That we do. So, this is great ignorance for a person to rely on the piety of someone else for salvation. There are also those that desire to be absorbed in spiritual ecstasy and bliss, floating through mystical realms. Right? This is the Western perspective, right? the European and Western perspective of quote-unquote Sufism. Right? They love Sufism because it's like type of like, a, like this hippie uh, LSD trip right? that you know, we can... Uh, follow these Sufi sheikhs and, you know, we will, you know, sing certain chants and mantras and then this will make us feel like, you know, come out of out-of-body experience and all of this ridiculous type of uh, things. All of this is nafs. Tasawwuf is about not feeling good. It's not about feeling good. <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing in this deen Right, that is quote unquote about feeling good. I said those people that are trying to tread the path of Islam or tread the path of tasawwuf in order to feel good, right? This is I said your Shaykh is Mr. Feel Good. Your Shaykh is not Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Your Nabi, your Rahbar, your leader, your mentor, your role model is not Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Your mentor is, you know, Mr. Feel Good. Mr. Feelgood is not the way of tasawwuf. It's not the way of Islam. Allah Ta'ala commanded us of jahidu. Mujahada has been the command that was given to us. Right? Not istarahu. 
enjoy and kick back. They desire the automatic elimination of sinful desires and the total expulsion of any thoughts of sins that occur in the heart and mind. They desire a condition in which there is no need for even forming an intention to do virtuous deeds because they believe that these deeds will become second nature. People consider these motives to be meritorious. Like, for me to intend this, this is very meritorious. One person actually wrote to Hazrat Tanwi, he said, Hazrat, you know, give me a tawiz where, you know, gunah chut jai. This gunah, you know, will automatically fall off. I won't have any desire to commit sin. Give me a tawiz. Hazrat said that there's no such thing as tawiz. The tawiz of leaving sins is tarqul ma'asiyah, mujahada, leaving and abandoning sins, struggling against the sins. Fighting your desires. Babtun nafs. Right? The one who fears actively fears standing before his Lord on the Day of Judgment. And he prohibits his desires. He desists from fulfilling his temptations. He goes against the demands of his nafs. That's not easy. Right? He disciplines himself. For him, Jannat is his abode. The conditions mentioned here are called halat. So people consider these motives to be meritorious. However, they are considered as such due to lack of understanding. Making these intentions is, 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 not, is, not, is not right. It's not practical. It's not factual. The conditions mentioned here are halat, spiritual states, right? And their attainment are not within the power or control of man. Attaining these halat, trying to gain... Uh, you know, spiritual states, trying to get an out-of-body experience or see lights or see the angels and so on. It's not within our control. Although halat are excellent states for a person to feel itminan, <coughs> a person to feel peaceful after making dhikr, a person to have a state of um, you know, ecstasy and enjoyment and feel ta'alluq with Allah Ta'ala and a connection with Allah, these are excellent states. But they are not the aim and the objective of a murid. Hazrat Tani has said that these things are mahmood, but they are not maqsood. Such a beautiful way he explained. Let me explain this issue that these feelings that we get, the contentment that we experience when we make dhikr, the happiness that we feel when we do righteous deeds, the peace of mind and contentment of heart that we experience by obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and following the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, right? This is Mahmood, but it is not our maqsood. What if by fulfilling the commandments of Allah, you don't feel happy? It doesn't make you happy. What if wearing hijab doesn't make you feel comfortable? You're a little bit uncomfortable. What if praying salat on its prescribed time, you know, makes you inconvenient? 
So then what? So understanding that if you do feel contented, if you do get peace of mind, mashallah, this is very good. But that's not the objective. Our objective should only be to fulfill the commandments of Allah, to do what is uh, the right thing, to fulfill uh, the uh, the haq and the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in the meantime, if we don't get that feeling, if we don't get that contentment, if we don't get that peace of mind and we feel uncomfortable, we feel inconvenient, then we will be ready to undergo all of that because that was not our intention in the first place. We weren't doing it to get that feel good. And it's very important to understand in our day and age because you know people want to make Islam convenient. They want to make Islam feel good. They want to make Islam as comfortable as possible. And no matter what they do, even if you make the Hajj a 10-star Hajj, you will never be able to take away the discomfort from the Hajj because that is what gives you the ajr of the Hajj. That is what gives you the reward of the Hajj is through the hardship and the difficulty and the sacrifice and the discipline. So those people that are making an effort to try to rid Islam of all types of inconvenience, right? But I ask you, which part of practicing deen is part of your convenience? Yes, the end result is convenience, right? The ajr that you receive, the discipline that you receive, the itminan al-qalb that you receive, that's the end result. But while you're getting there, where is their convenience? Is there convenience in waking up for fajr and leaving your warm bed? Is there convenience in spending your hard-earned money in zakat, giving your money away to people that you don't even know? Right? Is there convenience in fasting in the month of Ramadan? Somebody was telling me, oh, Maulana, you know, uh, fasting in the month of Ramadan, I, I don't know if I could do it. I just get really hungry. I said, yeah, exactly. That's the whole purpose of fasting. You're supposed to feel hungry. Now people don't even want to feel hungry when they're fasting. This type of right, a uh, misconstrued objective, you know, lack of priority, not understanding that the whole purpose is that we please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're ready to undergo any difficulty and taklif for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If we don't have this understanding that we're literally treading the path of suluk and treading actually the path of Islam with complete misconception. The maqsad and aim of something can only be that which the attainment of it is within one's ability to acquire. The maqsad is none other than the pleasure of Allah. That's it. Our purpose on this is la maqsuda illallah. That's it. The various motives and desires that have been mentioned earlier arise within the murid as a subtle trick of the nafs. Why does a person want to feel good? Or why does a person want karamat? Why does a person want to walk you know, on water and fly in the air? The nafs desires ease pleasure, personal glory. The desires of the nafs are fulfilled through these states, through these good feelings. Right? The one who is seeking the pleasure of Allah doesn't concern himself with the acquiring acquisition of these states because they are neither the aim nor goal of his effort and struggle. Pleasure of Allah, is there's no glory in it. The glory will be when he 
right? Allah Ta'ala says, فَادْخُلِي فِي إِبَادِي وَادْخُلِي جَنَّتِي يَا أَيَّتُهَا النَّفْسُ الْمُطْمَئِنَّ اِرْجِعِي إِلَىٰ رَبِّكِ رَاضِيَةً مَرْضِيَةً That is the glory of the believer. Return to your Lord. رَاضِيَةً مَرْضِيَةً You will be pleased and, you know, uh, and, and uh, you will be made pleased by Allah Azza wa Jal. That moment is the moment of greatest glory. So there's no glory, right, in making an effort. There's no glory or self-exaltation in being humble, in following this path. Right? Someone who yearns for these states, non-volitional, means something which is not within your control, right? Someone who yearns for these non-volitional states, meaning these states which are not within your control, will be prone to one of two harms. So when you're chasing these shadows, right, you're chasing these, you know, this mist, he will neither achieve these states, he will either achieve these states or fail to achieve them. So you have one of two possibilities. You want to become a superhero. That's why you connected yourself to this buzurk. You connected yourself to this righteous person. You're treading the path of tasawwuf. You want to right, walk on water. You want to fly in the air. So either you'll achieve that or you won't achieve it. If he succeeds in attaining them, he will erroneously believe that he has reached his goal. Okay, now you start walking on water. Okay, now you're done. Khalas, you're a superhero. Then basically you think now that I've reached my goal. He will equate these states of ecstasy or these miracles with suluk itself by thinking that these are the objectives of the spiritual journey and it has nothing to do with the spiritual journey. As we mentioned in the first few chapters of this book that the purpose is nothing but islahul zahiri wal batin, rectification of the internal and external. He will think that he has attained perfection and excellence. Therefore, his efforts will terminate He's not going to make any more effort and he will become neglectful of his ibadah and piety. He'll start right now, he'll start digressing. He will not consider ibadah to be an essential requirement of the path. Even if he does not completely refrain from ibadah, he will at least, he will at the very least consider it to be insignificant. Why do I need to do it? I've already reached there. On the other hand, if he fails to reach these spiritual states of ecstasy, right, he doesn't become Superman or Spider-Man, he will weaken due to frustration and despondency. He said, oh, you see, what's the use? I'm never getting to this state. I'm not becoming right, this you know, powerful um, person with superpowers. So whoever aspires for a goal, whoever aspires for a goal that is beyond his ability to achieve will suffer from frustration and dejection. Whoever aspires for a goal that is beyond his ability to achieve will suffer from frustration and dejection. In other words, if a person attains these states, he will start to digress. And if a person fails to reach these states, then he will start becoming frustrated and dejected. And he'll say, what's the use? And slowly he will fall off. Some people become murids thinking that the shaykh is a master of making ta'wiz, talismans and other metaphysical remedies. Their motive is to acquire the benefits of these metaphysical realities. People think that, you know, the shaykh is going to give me a ta'wiz and my business is going to start, you know, booming 
or I will start uh, being able to uh, increase in my wealth and so on and so forth. Right? This is also a false motive and objective. There are also those who view the Shaykh as a saint, whose du'as are readily accepted. They have the mentality that they need his du'as in order to win court cases or achieve other forms of worldly success. Right? They regard the Shaykh as an independent dispenser of worldly affairs. In this way, they confer divine attributes to the Shaykh. Right? The Shaykh starts becoming right, a deity by which you know their various worldly matters can be solved and the Shaykh will you know, say, Kun fayakun, Some people aspire to attain such holiness where their breath and touch will possess miraculous powers of healing. These people unfortunately labor under the misconception that these types of powers constitute piety. They dwell in error compounded upon error. In other words, right, these things are all dunyai. All of these things are worldly benefits that i'm going to do this and i'm going to do that uh, it has nothing to do with the pleasure of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala some are driven by the motivation that by engaging in dhikr they will have visions wherein they will behold celestial lights and sounds this is an erroneous idea based on lack of understanding celestial lights visions sounds are neither necessary outcomes nor the objectives behind dhikr and spiritual exercises in fact Sometimes these lights, visions, and sounds are imaginary. They are the figment of a person's imagination. They're not actual revelations of the unseen and spiritual realms. Sometimes they come because a person has put a lot of mental pressure on themselves, so they start seeing lights. However, even if these visions and sounds happen to be true manifestations of the unseen realms, there is still no benefit in them. One does not gain any proximity to Allah by witnessing such manifestations. Nearness to Allah Azza wa Jal is the product of ibadah and obedience. Even the shayateen sometimes see the malaika. But in spite of these sights, a shaytan remains a shaytan. It is also known for a fact, it is also known, a known fact that after death, the disbelievers will also know, see, and realize numerous things from the unseen realms. Hence, there is no excellence in something that is also common to the shayateen and disbelievers. Once you have realized that none of the aforementioned motives are from the aims and goals of suluk, you should cast them out of your heart and mind. The actual aim and goal of suluk is to achieve the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala. The method of achieving this is by obeying the commands of Allah and having constancy in dhikr. This is what the shaykh prescribes and what the murid practices, even if spiritual and metaphysical states are not attained. Even if excellence and perfection are not acquired, the benefits of dhikr and obedience to the commands of Allah will become manifest in the form of Allah's pleasure in paradise, the vision of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and salvation from the hellfire. Look, if you don't become a person with miracles, if you don't become somebody who is experiencing these spiritual states, for every subhanallah that you see, and for every subhanallah that you recite, you know, one tree will be planted for you in Jannah. For every harf of the Qur'an, you receive one hasana. And one hasana is multiplied by ten. All of these a'mal that we do, these righteous actions that we do, these dhikrs that we make, we will see the manifestation of these in the pleasure of Allah, the didar and the vision of Allah, and the rewards of paradise and salvation from hell. This is the reality behind the concept of Shaykh and Murid. 
simply this, that the Shaykh pledges to show the method of dhikr and the ways of fulfilling the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala while the murid pledges to act according to the directions of the Shaykh. That's it, right? The doctor gives the prescription and the patient simply tells his issue and his problem. Although it is possible to achieve this objective without specifically resorting to the method of bay'ah that has become the common, the unique advantage of this path of making bay'ah is the increased attention that the shaykh provides to the murid. What this is saying is, this common custom of people making bay'ah, this is not required. A person can achieve benefit from someone without having to do all this. But when you do make bay'ah and you do make an agreement with the shaykh, then what happens? The shaykh now is giving an increased attention towards that murid. Furthermore, the murid is more conscious of being obedient to a shaykh. You realize, okay, there's a commitment now. The murid is advised to regard his shaykh as foremost amongst all the saintly men of his time. Meaning, the only reason why he's made this person a shaykh is because he considers this person the best who can remedy my affairs. The wisdom of this advice is to ensure that the relationship between the shaykh and the murid is strengthened. But this is an ignorant thought that there's nobody better than my shaykh and my shaykh is everything. He's mufti, he's alim, he's, you know, uh, muhaddith, he's uh, everything. That's not possible and it doesn't have to be that way. Rather, you should say, this person is the best for me. Okay? For me, he's the best. For someone else, he might not be right the best. But for me, you know, this is the person who I attain rectification of myself in the best way. It might be that for somebody else, he is not the optimum sheikh or somebody that he will, we would even benefit from. The tradition of the murid placing his hands in the hand of the sheikh at the time of bayah is a beneficial custom of the awliya. But it's just a custom. If the murid is a woman, then a cloth is held in place of the hand. The woman in the company of others sits behind a partition, for example. The sheikh holds one end of the cloth and passes it on to the other side of the partition where the woman holds the other end. Holding the hand of Ghayr Mahram is not permissible, right? And this is something which leads to fitna and many of the issues that we see nowadays of scandals and, you know, impermissible, uh, you know, relationships that take place is because of this not being cautious in these matters. This custom is pre present to strengthen the bay'ah. The bay'ah is also possible without the tradition of the murid placing his hand in the hand of the sheikh. Therefore, one who lives far from the shaykh is still able to become a murid without this custom. This bayah can also be done through writing a letter, etc. There are also hadiths that affirm the virtues of the practice of placing the hand in the hand of the shaykh. According to the hadith, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, adopted the practice of taking the hand of men in his auspicious hand when he would take bayah from them. The practice of holding a cloth is representative of holding the hand. With that being said, there was a very beneficial advice that our Shaykh Hazrat Maulana Shah Qamru Zaman Sab Ilahabadi Dabat Barakatuhum gave us recently. He said that Shah Waliullah Muhaddis Dehlawi he wrote in Al Qawlul Jamil. He said that that the custom of Tasawwuf is not the objective. Many of these customary practices and things that came about, they had various reasons from them, and maybe from time to time at one time and in one era they were beneficial perhaps in one era they would not be beneficial 
So Hazrat advised us that focus on the objectives of tasawwuf and don't be concerned with the customs of tasawwuf. Islam and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure is not achieved through these customs. Rather, it is achieved through the objectives. May Allah ta'ala give us a tawfiq to implement what has been said. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillah.